Fantastic. Well, it is great to be here. You would expect me to say that, wouldn't you? I'm not going to stand up as a guest and say I'm really miserable to be here, but it really is good to be here. Um, I've heard lots about you, all good, from Jared. He does talk about you, you know, when he travels around. And uh, he says really good things about you. And I feel very at home today. However, I do get to travel around uh, quite a lot, particularly uh, different places around the world. So I'm used to cross-cultural mission, and I'm aware that I am engaged in cross-cultural mission this morning. Uh, I'm just going to give you a few more minutes to get used to my voice. I'm told in places like this that I have an accent. I'm unaware of that. Where I live in Maidenhead in Berkshire is just close to Windsor, where we have a castle. And in my house, we have a bathroom. Uh, so apologies. Uh, I hope by now you've got used to, to my voice. But I do feel at home. Uh, looking around the room, uh, as well as uh, all you Mzungus, I can see some uh, lovely African people as well, uh, which makes me feel thank you, makes me feel very much at home. I'm told, amongst others, we have some Ghanaians amongst us, do we? Machi. That's supposed to be hello, but there we go. I'm going to be talking about mission this morning. But as a foundation to that, I really, on this Father's Day, want to talk about the heart of our Father and what he's like. Because everything we do in mission, everything I believe about mission, flows out of that. So... Whilst I really hope that you will go away today fired up about adventuring in mission, and I really hope that for some of you that will mean getting involved with us in some way, above all of that, I really, really hope that you will all, we will all, myself very much included, catch something fresh about the heart of our Father that makes all of this make sense. My title this morning is The Kingdom is at Hand, Mission Within Reach. Sometimes some of us feel that mission is out of reach. It's for somebody else. It's for people who are confident enough to pray for a guy in the car park, who are good at speaking, who can stand on a platform and prattle on for the next 30 minutes or so. People who find that easy, but it's not. It's within reach for each and every one of us. The kingdom is at hand. By the way, um, I do feel at home here. That, that's a bit dangerous. It means I'm honest. And it might mean I get loud. Uh, again, I'm sorry, Mzungus, but all my other friends here will be really comfortable with that. Um, so, the kingdom is at hand. In Mark 1:15, we read this. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the good news of God. You know, I think right there is the first barrier many of us have to mission, is how much we believe just that. That news about God, by its very nature, must be... That's half of us. News about God, by its very nature, must be good. Because he is a good God who wants the best for us, the very best for us. I don't know... I know a couple people here. Most of you I don't know. I know there's some people here 
who put their hands up and said it was their first time. I don't know what you believe about God, what you've experienced about God, but let me tell you this morning, God is good. He wants the best for you, the very best. And Jesus came into Galilee preaching the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. You don't have to wait any longer. The kingdom of God, the place of his rule and reign in your life is not far away that we have to call it down in some way, but it is at hand. It's close enough to touch. We'll look at that more in just a moment. Repent, which simply means change your mind, change the way you're thinking about this and believe in the gospel. That word simply means good news. And why was Jesus able to say the kingdom was at hand? Well, he was able to say the kingdom was at hand because he was there. And there's the second barrier. Sometimes we have in mission, we don't really believe that the kingdom is at hand because we show up, but it is. Because we show up. The kingdom can be at hand for people because we are filled by his spirit. Let's look at a couple of questions that are often on people's minds. What is mission and whose mission? And at this point, by the way, because she's keeping up really well, can we just say thank you to Hannah at the back? People at the back don't always get <laughs> recognized. Hannah is preaching this message this morning as much as I am. She's got a lot of slides to keep up with. So thank you very much. You're doing great so far. What is mission? Well, we often think it is for the verbose. It's for the people who can talk. It's for the people who are really confident. Whose mission? Well, we're not sure if it's us. And if it is for us, we're not sure that that's very good news either. Because some of us have, have kind of grown up with the feeling that the will of God is good, perfect, but totally unacceptable. Which is not what the Bible says. And if we come out in spots and, and rashes, in heat, if we hate flying, if, if we've got a really nervous stomach, well, God's going to send us to Africa or India. Or somewhere else hot and, and not in tune with us. We, we think that mission is a job that God has got for us. We have a view that, that mission is this job for the church that God has given to the church. And he's going to sit back in heaven and do the important stuff of ruling the universe. But here's this job that he's given to us to do to kind of keep us out of mischief and, and to keep us humble and to keep us doing things that we really don't like doing. If we're nervous talking to people, he must be calling us to door-to-door -door evangelism. When we're talking about mission, we are talking about God's mission. God is on a mission, and he always has been, and he will be until the end of time. Reaching out to his universe because of his heart of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And out of that love, he has been on a mission and still is. 
And we have the privilege to join in with his mission in the world. Missio Dei is simply a, a Latin phrase theologians use, which simply means the mission of God. We are engaged with the Missio Dei, the mission of God. We have the privilege of joining in with that mission. A theologian called Christopher Wright puts it much better than I can, and he puts it like this. It's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world. That's the view I was just saying, that, that mission is a job for the church, that God's given to the church to do. He's not involved. He's on his throne. You go away and get on with that church. No, it's not that. Not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. And that's not just a play on words. It's really important. Mission was not made for the church. It wasn't made for us as a job. The church was made for mission. The church was made to partner with, to join in with mission, God's mission. We have the enormous privilege of joining in with something God is constantly involved in. Some of us spend a long time struggling to try and work out what is the will of God for our lives. How can I get in the center of God's will? As we engage in mission, in whatever way, we get engaged with something that is on God's heart, that is the center of his will, whatever else we do. If I asked you uh, for a verse from Scripture to talk about mission, to talk about our commission, I expect many of you would point to the end of Matthew or the beginning of Acts. I have another verse which is my favorite verse for encapsulating mission, what mission looks like, what engaging in God's mission in his way, what it looks like. And it's from the first letter of John, chapter one. John was one of Jesus's closest friends. And in this letter, he is, he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's trying to put into words what it was to encounter Jesus, the word of life. In, in his gospel, as I'm sure most of you will be aware of, he uses this phrase, the word became flesh. The eternal word of God became in Jesus flesh. And at the beginning of his letter, he is trying to say much the same thing. He is saying much the same thing. What was from the beginning? What we have heard so, yeah, the word of God does need to be heard. And John is saying, yeah, Jesus came and we heard. People gathered, thousands of people gathered to hear Jesus bring the word. As the word, he spoke out the word. The word was something that was heard. And the word does need to be heard. But it was more than that. You see, a couple of times in the New Testament, we here we read that people heard the audible voice of God speaking from heaven. And basically, both times he says, that's my boy, I love him. Which is what fathers say. <laughs> but, but, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I ask questions like, 
well, why didn't God just do that then? Why didn't he just speak out from heaven the gospel message? He could have drawn the four spiritual laws in the sky, you know, he could have spoken it out. People could have heard the voice of God speaking. But he didn't do it like that. If the word just had to be heard, that's how he could have done it. Or even if he sent Jesus, Jesus could have just had lots of platforms and just taught and just spoken. But John says, no, it wasn't just what we heard. It was what we've heard, but it was what we have seen with our eyes, looked at. Jesus didn't hide himself away. He didn't just do radio broadcasts. People saw him. John is saying, look, I traveled around. I mean, the implication is, look, I traveled around with him. I spent day by day with him. This, this word of life was something that I could see. And more than that, says John, it's what I've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at, touched with our hands. It's what we've touched. This word of life wasn't kept behind security barriers. There weren't security guards keeping the crowds away. The disciples tried to keep people away. And whenever they tried that, Jesus, no, 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 let them come. (laughs) This word was heard. It was looked at close enough to examine. It was touchable. This is God's method of mission. To send a person that can be heard, seen, and touched. And if that is God's method of mission, that has to be our method of mission. We need to be present. Yes, with our words, but we all know words aren't enough. It has to be our actions. We have to be close enough to touch. Touch with our hands, the word of life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. We'll look at that word right at the end. What we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. When I first uh, took over this role in in 2010, for the next 12 months or so, I I made a point of trying to travel to, uh, to visit as many of our partners as I could. Um, Links is a relational organization. We work through local partners in, in many different nations. And as part of that, I traveled out to, to visit our friends Paul and Jonah in Kenya. And I was only going to be there for a few days. So I, I thought I should explain to them a little bit more when I first arrived about why it was I traveled all that way to, to visit, to visit them just for a, a few days. And when I first reached Nakuru, uh, Jonah showed me around the town a little bit. And as we were walking around for about the first 25 minutes or so, I was trying to explain to Jonah why it was I'd come. And I was talking about Lynx being a relational organization, that it wasn't enough for us just to send emails or do phone calls. And, and you know how it is when, when you you don't really know if you're getting through to someone. You just keep repeating the same thing. And I was, I was new to the role and new to cross-cultural communication. So I wasn't quite sure, was Jonah really understanding what I was saying? Was this all new to him? And, 
after about 25 minutes, I paused for breath and, and Jonah said, yeah, we, we have a saying for that. Next slide, please. Any Kikuyu speakers here? I need to apologize for my pronunciation again if there are. No, okay. Jonah said to me, we have a saying for what you've just been explaining. And, and he is a Kikuyu speaker, which is a, a dialect in, in Kenya. He said, we have this saying, Nduguni Makinya. Can we hear you say that, please? Nduguni Makinya. Not bad. Nduguni Makinya simply means friendship is steps. Friendship is steps. And I realized that Jonah had encapsulated in three words what I'd spent 25 minutes trying to explain. That we can't talk about friendship and it be at a distance. Friendship means we take steps towards each other. And I realized as I dwelt on that phrase more that actually that is a fantastic description of the incarnation of the Word of God in Jesus. That God was not satisfied with keeping us at arm's length. He could not make friends with us at arm's length. No, friendship is steps. And so the Word became flesh. The Word of life was heard, seen and touched. This is God's method of mission. Ndugu Nimakinya. It's kind of my unofficial strap line for Lynx International. It's not one you can put on our literature because no one would understand it. But what does Ndugu Nimakinya look like where you live? What does it look like where I live? See, I can stand up here and talk, give you stories from Malawi and Zambia and Kenya and Uganda and Sri Lanka, and I will do in a moment <laughs> for the last few minutes. But, but in a sense, that's easy. <laughs> I, I really hope some of you join in with that, but we've got to start by saying, I've got to start by saying, what does Ndugu Nimakinya look like in Switchback Road South, Maidenhead, SL67QF? <laughs> what does it look like in Kingswood? What does it look like in Kingswood? What does it look like further afield in the Hull area where you live? What does the word being made flesh, being hearable, seeable, touchable look like in your road? Because we are there, the kingdom is at hand. Just spend another minute or so looking at this heart of our God. In Psalm 146, it says this, the Lord executes justice. Well, you know, sometimes when we look at the Old Testament, we sometimes think of God being the God of justice and judgment. Sometimes we almost think that somewhere between the book of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, God got saved and discovered grace is of course not true. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Justice in the Old Testament, if you look at it across the board, basically means people being given what they deserve. And often that means those who are oppressed, those wrongs being righted. That is justice. The Lord executes justice for the oppressed. 
He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the immigrants, which is a good modern translation of strangers or aliens. He supports the fatherless and the widow. This is the heart of our God. If I meet you later on and, and ask you to introduce yourself, you'll probably give me, my, give me your name. You'll say a little bit about the relationships that are important to you, and you might tell me something about your job. This is God doing the same thing. You know, I am the Lord. At other times, you know, I dwell in the heavens. It doesn't say it here, but then it says, and this is what I'm about. This is what's important to me. This is God introducing himself. This is what I'm about. So when Jesus comes, and we read at the beginning of Luke, he stands up in the synagogue, and he reads a portion of Scripture from the book of Isaiah. And, and I don't know whether that was a portion he chose. I don't know in the synagogue lectionary if it was the passage that he was assigned, and he just chose what day he did it. <laughs> I don't believe it was an accident. Is it any wonder that the Son of God, chip off the old block, that Father says, that's my boy. Is it any wonder he stands up and says, this is what I'm here to do. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord's upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Sounds a lot like that verse in Psalms, doesn't it? Recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who were oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he sat down. And there were people all over the synagogue going, hang on a minute, Jesus. You've stopped in the middle of the sentence. Because if you know that passage in Isaiah, he has stopped in the middle of a sentence. The second half of that sentence is, and the day of vengeance of our God. So maybe there was a crease in the manuscript or something. I don't know. No. Now, Jesus was standing up and saying, the spirit of the Lord's on me. And here is what I want to put right that's wrong. And this is the acceptable year, the year of jubilee, the day of acceptance, the day of forgiveness. And then he sits down. And my understanding of that is that day has started and it has never stopped. And there will come a day when it will stop at the end of time, when time runs out. But right now is not that time. Right now, this is still the acceptable year of the Lord. It's got more than 365 days in this year. And we are those who the Spirit of the Lord is on to do just this same stuff. Thank you, all five of you. We are those people. And Jesus says it is good news to the poor. And we can spiritualize that and say it's the poor in spirit. And yes, of course, it includes that. But it is also those who are physically, materially poor. And the rest is a commentary of what good news can look like. It's not just words. It's healing. It's freedom. It's all those things. So what does that look like? What does that look like where I live? What does that look like where you live? Well, for the last few minutes, I'm going to show you what it looks like with the, the work of Links International 
around the world. But I just want to pause. Allow the Spirit of God to speak to us right now. What does this good news look like where I live? It may be things we're already engaged in doing. It might be that he will whisper something new in your ear. So what does it look like with the work of links? Well, as I've already said, we work with local partners in, in many different nations, many different situations, and we partner with them to reach out with this good news into their communities. We are usually just about always really joining in with what they are already doing and, and perhaps adding some things to that that, that they are not able to do. <clears throat> we, we see this good news very holistically. Good news can look like many different things. And we do that, <coughs> excuse me, by uh, principally by taking teams out for short-term trips. Those teams are 90-something percent volunteers, people who look like you actually specifically look like a couple of people who are here, I'll mention in just a moment, because we have a couple of our volunteers here this morning. And we do a number of different things. The first thing I want to talk about quickly is community healthcare. With community healthcare, we, we don't run clinics, we take people, sometimes they are uh, healthcare professionals, but sometimes it's people even like me who are just equipped with a manual and, and just to teach some very simple things. And we teach those things to local people. We start with uh, uh, what we call a healthcare assessment. People talk about the needs of their community and they vote uh, what are the things that are most important. You can see if you're uh, able to read the stuff that's on the chart. Some of those things are very straightforward. Some aren't. Malaria, but something like diarrhea sounds very straightforward. But diarrhea kills people in the communities that we go to. Young children get diarrhea. They, no one knows how to treat it. No one knows what's caused it. They end up dehydrated, and they die from dehydration. So we listen to the needs of the community. We don't beam in from 10,000 feet and just tell them what they should know. We listen to them first. That's also a really good mission principle, by the way, wherever you live. Find out what people actually are concerned about and address that. The church often, not saying your church, but the church often talks about things that aren't issues for people, but we ignore the things that are. It's fantastic that's less and less true. That teaching can take place in many different places. The next slide just shows you some teaching going on in India, in a small hut. It can be in a church hall. It can be out under a tree. Once we've taught people, the next slide shows you a, a group of volunteers that have been trained and they are taking the message out. They are a group of people from a village called Chapsinja in Malawi. Uh, they took their message out to their own community and then further and further afield in the end, they were walking two or three hours to get to a village, two or three hours to get back. So we provided them with some bikes so that they could get there 
a bit more easily. The next slide is uh, someone I met just a few weeks ago. His name is George. You can see on the, his name tag. George lives in Kenya. Uh, in the Mitimingi, near a, a village or an area called Mitimingi, just outside Nakuru. George spent 28 years as a problem drinker, he told me, and his life was falling apart. He finally reached a point where he knew he needed to make a change. He went to visit our friends, uh, Paul and Jonah, who he knew of. They were pastors in his village, and they led him to the Lord. They, he started to walk with Jesus, but you know what? That wasn't an instant answer to his problem. A few weeks later, uh, a team from Lynx International uh, came to visit his area and George uh, came to the training. And that team included a couple called Chris and Pat who are here this morning. Chris and Pat, um, retired couple from up in this area. And um, they are amazingly anointed. They will get embarrassed of me talking about them like this, but they are an anointed couple who God has anointed in giving teaching and training to people suffering from the problem that George had. And that began to turn George's life around. And you might think he could be forgiven at that point to just concentrate on putting his own life together. But time and time again, I'm challenged by the people I meet in these areas that actually they have a great heart for their community. They are selfless and George said to me, I, I suddenly realized I thought about all of my old drinking buddies and how they were still in the same state that I'd been in. So with Chris and Pat's manual in my hand, I started to visit them one by one. And one by one, he saw these people's lives turned around as well. He now has a group of 18 guys who meet twice a month. They meet for mutual support. They pray together. They also go out and they take the message of Jesus and the release that can be found to others who are facing the same problems that they have. That happened. That happened because one couple from up, up here Retired couple said, do you know, can we be useful? This next slide shows another uh, few people that have the same sort of problem. This is again from a village in Malawi. They're now part of a group that call themselves the Overcomers. Again, it was Chris and Pat who brought the teaching to them. They're, they're showing us a drama that they take out to teach people that they don't have to be stuck in this problem. One of the ladies there is actually the lady who used to brew the stuff that they used to drink. And so she's actually turned away from her livelihood to get involved in this. The next slide shows us them showing uh, us their fields of maize. They were given a field to grow maize in by uh, the local chief and um, their maize grew better than anyone else's. <laughs> this is God's mission that we are joining in with. We asked them why, Chris and Pat asked them why, and um, it wasn't because of any of the agricultural principles that we also teach. They hadn't heard those at that time. They said, well, when the maize was first growing, there was dew that fell on our land that didn't fall on anyone else's patch of ground. We join in with the mission of God. Unsafe water kills a child every 21 seconds somewhere in the world. Now, I know statistics like that don't mean very much. They, they're just too big to, to take in. But that means that since I started talking about unsafe water, somewhere a child's died. This is a well that I encountered in Zambia. It took three women to collect the water. When the water came up, this is what it looked like. 
And uh, that isn't a trick of the light. It really did look like that. And I looked over and looked in the well, and there was a rat swimming around at the bottom. But just a few hundred yards away was a broken borehole pump that no one had been able to afford to repair. We repaired it, only took a few hundred pounds. That was a few hundred pounds well spent, I think. And that community has begun to be transformed. We, we, uh, we take water filters as a short-term solution, and the slide you're now looking at uh, shows one of those filters set up. 50 pounds will get one of these filters in place somewhere. Uh, and uh, with everything that that buys, basically that gives safe water to up to 200 people for two years. 50 quid. We teach about sanitation. This picture with a smiling face, you might think it's a hut. It's actually a latrine. This is in uh, Zambia again. Just a few weeks ago, they were very proud to show me a whole lot of latrines like this that they'd built because of the teaching the Lynx team had brought. And the chief in this village has told everyone in the village that so convinced is he that this is something they should all do, that if they don't do it, he's going to find them a goat. We also do, I'm going to have to speed through a little bit, we also engage in micro-enterprise development. That simply means we train a group of local people to administer a fund that we then set up for them, but they do the administering, they run it, giving small loans of probably 50 pounds, somewhere between 50 and 100 pounds. Uh, this is some training that's going on in Malawi. That's my wife doing the training. Uh, the next slide shows you a lady called Leslie. Leslie is another Chris and Pat, someone that maybe wasn't sure, could she be used, could she be useful? Um, but uh, you know what? Leslie knew some dressmaking skills. This is what taking the mission of God can look like. She's teaching some ladies who have been, taught, who've been receiving loans, we're going to receive loans from the microenterprise scheme in this village, how to make uh, a pattern and to make uh, children's dresses for school. And the next time we went back, six months later, this lady, Maggie Pirry, had set up a business. She was selling and she was employing people because Leslie went and gave what she could give. She was close enough to touch in that situation for just a couple of weeks. David here is a baker who received loans, uh, a loan in Kenya, and now he has set up a tea shop, uh, and this lady is an employee of his from a micro-loan. Lives changed. Hope coming. This lady, uh, Esther, is a lady who lives in an area called the Lost City just outside Kampala in Uganda. She was trained with some of our partners there uh, in hairdressing skills. With a friend of hers, she has set up a salon in her area in the Lost City. But again, she's not just satisfied in making her own money. She and her friend are training some of the, young, the other younger girls so that they have got skills and don't have to go through the things that she has gone through. We take simple agricultural skills out. One of those things is pit compost. You didn't expect to come and hear about pit compost here this morning. Uh, pit compost is simply made using green leaves and wood ash and water and soil. And you know what? It's free and it transforms crops. The next slide shows, shows you a lady in one hand. She has a maize cob that was grown without the pit compost. In the other, a maize cob that was grown with the pit compost. That's all happened because, again, a guy called Richard came and said, can I be useful? And he analyzed the situations. Sunflower seeds... Again, grown with pit compost. Moringa powder, 
I haven't got time to tell you about Moringa trees, but they're a miracle. They're God's provision for the area. Beekeeping, so many simple solutions. All part of God's mission. So I've said, what does it look like where you live? But what could it look like if you went to some of these places? Any businessmen here? Business ladies? Business women? <laughs> business ladies? Where did that come from? The skills you've got could transform people's lives. Any dressmakers? Hobby sewers? sewers. Any people who enjoy growing stuff in your garden? Any farmers? Any medical professionals? Any people who just think they could put an arm around someone and talk to them one-to-one. -one. You could be the word of life for these people. It's God's mission. Final story. This is my friend Mike praying for a boy in Zambia. He'd been ill. This was at the end of 2014. He'd been sick since 2008. No one knew quite what was happening with him. He had many tests. He kept fitting, falling over. Mike prayed for him at the end of a Sunday morning meeting. And Mike said to me afterwards, you know, I didn't really feel, you know, we'd traveled a long way. He wasn't feeling. He wasn't walking around with a ready breck glow. Those of us old enough to remember that. He wasn't floating around a few inches off the ground. There was no great flash of light in the sky and God saying, be healed. He just prayed because he was asked to. Next day, the boy's father, Mark, came to see us and said, my son's healed. He's playing football. He's well. That was last October. I was there a few weeks ago. I asked Mark, <laughs> call it lack of faith, but, you know, I just, well, I'm telling this story. I just need to ask Mark, is your son still well? Well, of course, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. Because it's God's mission. So it can mean all those things. But sometimes it is just making ourselves available for the supernatural power of God to move through us. You know what? God's heart is for these people. I don't think there's an easier place to pray for the sick <laughs> than in some of these places. Final slide. In that verse in John, it talks about the word being made manifest. I looked up that word in Strong's Concordance because I'm not a Greek scholar. Strong's Concordance will tell us what the Greek word means, and it means this. To make manifest or visible or known what's been hidden or unknown, whether by words or deeds or in any other way. We are called to make what is hidden and invisible to the world known and visible. And we can do that with words. We can do that with deeds. You know what? If we've used up words and deeds and we still don't know whether we can be used, it can be any other way. All of us can be engaged in this mission of God.